0: Welcome back to another episode of the Gems of History podcast, your favorite friendly podcast. I am your. We're off to a great start. The favorite friendly podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no,
1: I want to listen to like my favorite enemy podcast.
0: <laughs> I am your host Jacob Shop, and joining me as always, I have Mark Steinbrenner.
2: Your favorite member on this podcast. Whoa. Whoa. whoa, whoa. I just big really shoes to fill. Wow. Evan Roosh. <laughs> Probably the least favorite. <laughs> oh, <ever> no. <laughs> yes, honestly, come on, yeah. come on. I was just stealing your thunder, dude. Everyone loves you. Stop to stealing my
1: thunder.
0: Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, how are you guys doing today? It's a beautiful day outside.
1: Good. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to do this. You know, got a big topic to cover.
0: Oh, yeah. And yeah, just
1: I'm... in general, like things are just going swell.
0: Good, good.
2: Wow. I mean, an elite, like an really
1: elite level of happiness, to quote Mark, <laughs> I'm always trying to three. bring
2: that high end, but I've been really brought it today, so I'm here to bring you guys down. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Every I, ship needs an anchor, damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I'm really excited for Drago's podcast because he's been telling us it's pretty in-depth. It's got to be really interesting. I, can't wait. I, don't, I have no idea what it's about, but you sure have a lot of details to tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be our first two-part topic. So, you get to hear me talk for two weeks in a row, so get ready for that. But, before that, we got one round of trivia to hit you with. So, I'll start this one off, if you guys do not mind. So, mine kind of fits with my topic for today, but what was the Challenger Space Shuttle's next flight supposed to carry? A. Plutonium. B. Food. C. USA basketball players, D a dog and a cat.
2: If it's not basketball players, I'm going to be upset. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were. That's when they were trying to make space champions. <laughs> <laughs> that is, we exactly take the fight is. to the aliens.
2: <laughs> hmm.
1: I'm letting you go first on this one.
2: Oh, I I don't know. Um. I have I have no idea, so let's have some more with that. I'm going with basketball players. Wow,
1: all right. Um. D was cats and dogs, correct? Yes. I'm going to go with cats yep, and that's dogs.
0: That's the other one I was thinking. Okay. So, the Challenger Space Shuttle's next flight was supposed to carry plutonium.
2: Ah, so something like more really? obvious. That's
0: yep, not as yeah. fun. Yeah, something sciencey. Yeah. <laughs> so, think about it. If it wouldn't have blown up on the mission that it did, and it would have blown up with the plutonium on board. Oh, yeah. Could have rained nuclear fallout onto Florida and caused parts of Florida to be uninhabitable potentially. So, with it exploding in the second flight when it did, actually probably or potentially could have saved a bigger disaster. So, yeah.
2: True, that does sound worse than losing a team full of basketball players. (laughs) (laughs) As bad as that
0: would
1: be. Never want exploding plutonium. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's sad that anyone had to explode in a space shuttle, but, I mean, I guess it could have been much worse. Taking one for the team? Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Not the basketball team, though. No! (laughs) Would
1: have been our own version of Chernobyl.
0: (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Pretty
1: All right, I can go next, if you guys don't mind. So, pretty simple question, I feel like. Not too long. These birds were worshipped as gods by the Mayan people. Was it A, canary, B, cockatoo, C, turkey, or D, vulture? Uh,
0: I just, I'm going A. I'm going to say canary.
1: Bonus points if you can make the sound of the bird.
0: Nope.
2: (laughs) Doesn't that sound like... You've heard that somewhere before? Like, we, I don't know. Somewhere with canary. I don't know. I, I have no I'm just uh, avoiding uh, eye contact. So give away <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with usage. canary also.
1: All right. So the correct answer was C. Turtle. Dang it. Uh, Gobble. That was, Gobble. Yeah. It wasn't,
2: that's supposed to be just about the U.S. history. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. They were so heralded
1: as uh, vessels of the gods and were honored as such. And they were actually domesticated and had major roles in religious rites.
0: Nice. So there's just like pet turkeys running around.
1: Essentially, can you imagine just like walking one on a leash?
0: That'd be pretty intense, In I guess. In 300 and BC. It up and-, <laughs> and then eating it for Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark.
2: Oh, that's right. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, that
0: is a part of this.
2: All right. How many U.S. presidents have been assassinated? And bonus points if you can name them, but that's not what I meant. It's
0: three, right? I think three.
1: Let's think through this. By think through this, I mean copy Jacob's answer. Yeah, it was three.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's actually four. Dang it, that was my second guess. Kind of nuts. I don't know. There's only like two, I think, that we think heavily about, maybe three, but yeah, there's four altogether.
0: Really? So there's Lincoln, JFK, um, William Henry Harris? No, Garfield. Yeah garfield and mckinley okay that was McKinley. the one i forgot was mckinley
1: we just do not talk about the other two at all besides lincoln <laughs> no and J.
0: really okay. so poor guys didn't one, know, did one or, of them yeah. one of them like some dude just like wrapped his hand in like a t-shirt and just walked through a crowd and shot one of them
1: like, yeah i think yeah. that was
0: i'm pretty sure that was garfield i think so yeah yeah so those were just <laughs> wild times you just go up to yeah them, literally like, you could just walk up to him and
2: or like back in would just like duel people you disagreed with. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You know, like, uh, have you seen the Alexander Hamilton? Yeah. Like the Hamilton yeah. play or whatever yeah. or musical? Tremendous. Literally just just dueling people. Like, oh, I got to be with you. I got to be with you. Let's shoot at each other. Can you imagine
1: if that's how we settled like Twitter arguments nowadays? <laughs> just... <laughs> All right, meet me here. It's just like the Josh fight. Meet me on the, the top of
2: the hill. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> Josh fight. I <laughs> would eliminate a few more fools. I'll right? That. Yeah, true, right. True,
0: true, true. All right, guys. Well, as I told these two, usually for my topics, I have, like, four pages of notes, maybe. Well, for this one, I have over ten pages, so this is definitely going to be our first two-part series, and for this two-part series, we will be discussing the real-life Men in Black.
2: Ooh. Very exciting. So,
0: Mark, I know you had said you kind of have heard a few things about this. Yeah,
2: I I looked into it to see if... uh... I wanted to delve into it, but let me tell you, I did not do that much research. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and as per usual, I'm going in blind. That's
0: All righty, right. It. All so, to give a summary before we get into it, the real men in black are said to be some sort of government appearing force who usually appear to people that have encountered some sort of paranormal phenomenon, usually related to UFOs. So, they act as if they're human, but something's always a little bit off, and usually they aren't there for fun actually quite the opposite. So if you have tall, thin men in black suits, black hats, and white shirts with a black tie visiting your home unannounced, you may want to think about opening your door.
1: Were they just, like, going through a phase when they were designing (laughs) the the uniforms? Like, Mom, not right now. (laughs) Give me some
0: more monster. So the, the uniforms is actually, like, a funny part about it because, like, people say for, and we'll get into this later, but like they say, the reason why they're always in those black suits is just because it's like throughout his, like from the forties until now, it's like a pretty common outfit to wear. So it doesn't stand out really. Like it doesn't set you to be an outlier in some sort of fashion. So
1: fashion really has not changed for men in quite some time. It's just been suits on suits.
0: Yeah, pretty much. At least when you want to look nice. Yep. So my source for this was a book called The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun book. It's got a lot of stories in it, some of which I'll go through, but there's a lot that I'm not going to mention. So if you want to delve into it a little more yourself, you can. But uh, he does a lot of like, first-hand accounts that he has talked to the people and gotten their stories straight from them. So it's fun to, to hear some of these tales from the source. But... With that, let's get into it. So, before we get into the story about how this became a more of a mainstream thought in the paranormal world, we have to get a couple things out of the way first. So, according to Redfern, there's three ways that the men in black are referred to. So, first you have man in black, which self-explanatory, it's just one guy. Then you have men in black, which is multiple of them, like mm-hmm. two or three. Of the characters, and then you have MIB, M I B, which is the whole group, like the whole phenomenon of the Men in Black. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it's supposed to be. It was kind of vague in the wording for it, so that's how I took it as.
1: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like MIBs, just like the organize- organization as a whole. Yeah.
0: So yeah. <clears throat> much of what he uses is personal interviews, like I said, and so. At this point, let's just get into what they are. How about it, huh?
1: Pretty excited. Can't <laughs> wait yeah. to uh, just pepper in, you know, obviously we're like half a quotation, like podcast pretty much. Yeah. Including movies, and there's three Men in Black movies that we have in our arsenal, so. Yes.
3: Ready
0: for that. Yes. So,
2: just waiting for where Will Smith comes into this.
0: <laughs> so the Men in Black are described as Predatory, elusive, fear-inducing figures that lurk around the fringes of the UFO topic and incur terror and intimidation and roam the countryside-inducing paranoia before returning from whence they came. So, good start, (laughs) fear-inducing figures.
1: (laughs) And, like, the very first word was predatory.
0: Yeah, so not something you want to really run into. So, appearance-wise, they're said to usually be in groups of three Driving 1950s black Cadillacs in the U.S. and 1960s Jaguars in the U.K. and they always appear basically brand new for the the vehicles that they drive. So they usually sport a black suit, black fedora or homburg style hat, black sunglasses, black necktie, black socks, black shoes, and a crispy white shirt. So crispy. (laughs) I know. (laughs)
1: Thought of wearing a crispy shirt, just kind of. Oh. just
0: like really crinkly. It's yeah. like wearing paper.
2: <laughs> this is the one guy who's always like a little bacon up here, and they're just laying into yeah. it.
0: <laughs> so as you can see, that's why they're called the Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Plenty of black in their outfits.
1: And of course, they primarily work in the desert too, and like black just attracts yeah, heat. Attracts the heat.
0: <laughs> so as for what they are, it's a little more complicated, and that's where we're going to split into two parts. First part is going to be mostly just stories and firsthand accounts. And then the second half is going to be more theories on what or who the men in black really are. So, I can tell you that they are not, however, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, as far as I know. All right, I'm out.
1: I was about to say, as far as you know. As far
0: as I know. I'm not going to say for sure that they're not, because maybe they are. Hey,
1: Will Smith has... Just incredible range as an actor. I would be surprised if he wasn't a real life Men in Black.
0: It's true. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> what?
2: I know. Not. Well? Unless this is all a misdirection and Jacob's trying to mislead us because he himself is part of this organization. Mm. I don't have a
0: fedora though.
1: You are wearing a black shirt and a metallic watch that's black that's right true.
0: now. true. Hiding it. Shh. So, there's plenty of theories that we'll get into on the second episode, but for now, I'm going to start you guys off with the story of a man named Albert, Albert Bender. Oh, Ooh. yeah, of course. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that guy. You yeah. know him? Al Bender. He's popping up in all of our history. Oh, wait, no, the first time. <laughs> Very big name. <laughs> uh, but he's kind of the guy that brought the story of the men in black to the mainstream in paranormal circles. He's the one that started the phenomenon as it is today, as it's viewed today. So, it actually begins before him with a man named Kenneth Arnold, who was a pilot who was out in near Mount Rainier in Washington State in 1947. And he was flying out there to look for a supposed crashed airplane, and rec- like a recovery mission, basically. And he said while he was flying out there, he saw nine peculiar-looking aircraft flying together with no tails. So, no conventional plane design Mm -hmm. and this was kind of the first widely reported ufo sighting in the u.s and nobody really had like a good answer to give on what he saw or like what it could have been and this was like widely reported in newspapers and everything so this is the biggest sensationalized ufo case in the u.s so after he saw this, people started looking into more of it on their own trying to find their own answers because they weren't getting any from mainstream media sources or anything. And one of those people was Albert Bender. So Albert Bender was like pretty much a lifelong proponent of like paranormal and the occult and all that stuff and at 23 years old, he lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut and after Flight 19 got lost in the Bermuda Triangle, which is another huge story that we could probably do our own uh, its own episode on, uh, after that happened was when he kind of got really into it, and he lived in the top of a three-story house with his stepfather, and he lived, like, in the attic and had, like, a bunch of paranormal journals, books, newspapers, and he had them all organized super meticulously, like... Basically, OCD. And like anytime anyone moved something, he would get like really upset about it. So,
1: So kind of like stepbrothers, like if someone touched his drum set. Yeah, basically.
0: Except he's living in the attic with his stepfather living downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) So, he looked out the window of his attic room with his telescope, like pretty much nightly, and scanned the skies, looked for strange things, strange lights, all that stuff. Eventually, in the attic that he lived in, he started painting like scary pictures and stuff on the walls and like wanted to make his room into a haunted house and like pay people admission to come in and go through his haunted attic. Just a... <laughs> How much am I gonna...
2: How quickly can I get through that? <laughs> it's, just it's, it's just an attic. Yeah.
0: It's just
1: separated by like blankets, just oh, like different blanket boards. <laughs> guess i don't know different themes like this is a spooky pirate ship (laughs) i
0: want to see pictures of like the paintings that he did and see if they're like any good actually but as you can probably guess from what i've told you he lived a pretty solitary life Mm. so uh he was like i said he had ocd basically so he was overly fussy like a lot of the people that actually hung out with him or spent time with him said that anytime he saw something out of place he threw a fit about it and stuff like that but uh even though he was only 23, he also just had this crippling fear that he was going to get cancer and die. That was like his like lifelong fear.
2: So all of us basically. All I, all mean, of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's be- one,
0: one in four. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, is this where like tinfoil hats come in? Because like radiation from like aliens and
0: no, he just that. thought he was going to get cancer. <laughs> I, I don't. Oh, it didn't have any reasoning for it. He just thought I'm going to get cancer one of these days and die.
1: Keep your head on a swivel, I guess. Yeah. Stay away from microwaves. And so, we'll have like supercomputers in our pockets. Right? right?
0: <laughs> We've got like so much around us that is co- like setting oh, off.
1: Oh, yeah. We're just getting cooked in this basement right
3: now.
0: <laughs> so, this isn't saying that Bender was the only weirdo in his family, though. It's kind of set up for him to be kind of into this fringe stuff because there is one aunt of his or cousin. That claimed to have an encounter with a woman in black before, like when he was younger. And then a lot of his family believe that one of his relatives died because a ghost made them have a brain hemorrhage. So Hmm. he's living a life being raised in this weird thought. So solid genetics. Yeah, right. (laughs) Really setting himself up to be a a fun loving guy.
1: Yep. Big proponent of fun.
0: Like, I just wanted to start his own small business. Okay, he wanted. <laughs> he basically does. He oh. was
1: an entrepreneur.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: So in December of 1950, Bender started to get like more serious with his UFO research, and he started meticulously cross-examining reports and stories that had been coming into him, and hooked up with like like-minded people in the area, and basically started his own group, and. His group eventually became, like, a worldwide network of people that he was getting, like, literally sacks of letters. Like, imagine Santa getting those sacks of letters. He was basically getting those from, like, UFO researchers and people that had said they had encounters with UFOs and I stuff. I
1: would love to read one of those letters, like, Dear Albert, right? today I saw, and it's just, like, a kid's letter to and Santa. And you're,
0: you're sitting in your attic with a demon face painted on the wall next to you. <laughs> like. But... This group that he started became known as the International Flying Saucer Bureau, or IFSB, as I'll refer to it for our, the rest of this, pretty much, which he established in April of 1952. So it was less than two years after he like really started digging into the topic. So in like a year and a half, basically, he started his own worldwide UFO group, That's which is
1: insane. Before like social media, exactly, even really the internet.
0: Yeah, so he really like went for it and like went all in. And along with his group that he started, he published a magazine called Space Review that he would distribute to whoever wanted a copy of it. So like he, you jokingly said, he was starting his own business. He pretty much did. Should have stuck to the attic idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because he talked about like how he would set up his haunted house and stuff and you would have like people from his work come through and all the guys would bring their girlfriends and <laughs> they would like a big spider would come out of the ceiling or something and they all run to their boyfriends. He's like, he was so funny seeing them run into the arms of their boyfriends. Was that actually his voice? <laughs> Can be now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a voice for him. so that's honestly kind of what I was picturing, but perfect. <laughs> it's in the history books now. Yep. So, this is where kind of the beginning and the beginning of the end starts for Albert Bender and his UFO research. So, With IFSB going super well, having this worldwide support, he was getting sent letter after letter, answer them nightly, he was working on his magazine, He he had all this stuff going on, and this group was a huge force in general in the world of UFO research, they had a lot of power. So, it wasn't to last though, because egos and stuff in UFO groups are pretty much a huge downfall, but that wasn't why this one fell apart. Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I try to start my own, you know, with the egos. They, it's honestly really, like, it's funny and stupid because they all want to be the ones that get the big scoops. They all fight with each other on it. Yeah. So none of them can ever agree or help each other out. Like, they don't work together ever. So it's so stupid. It's so dumb.
1: They need one ring ringleader to emerge from the ashes. Well, and they're, I'm looking at you. <laughs>
0: I will put up a total of $40 to help them. (laughs) (laughs) I will start a Facebook group. (laughs) Yes. So it wasn't for that reason that his fell apart. It was because of fear. And that fear was because of our predatory men in black friends. So it began on July 30th, 1952 with a phone call. He was home alone, so he answered the phone, but there was no one on the other end but he kind of knew someone was there, so that that feeling when you get a call and you can kind of just like hear little things in there that maybe someone else is actually listening to you. And as he was on the phone, he suddenly got a really bad headache and he had to go lay in his bed. And that like that physical state that he was in lasted for like a few days for before he was able to like fully recover from it. And this is all according to him, so mm-hmm. take this for what you will. But the, in the same week after he had recovered, he decided to go to the movies to see like a sci-fi movie or whatever. And afterwards, he felt like he was being followed home from the movie theater. So he got home, went upstairs, and saw like a light coming from underneath his attic door, which was weird because it wasn't supposed to be on. And so he opened the door and he found a shimmering light floating in the middle of his room and was immediately hit by a smell of sulfur he said when he opened the door so he turned on the light and immediately when he turned on the light the the light in the room disappeared and he noticed that some of his like files and magazines and whatever were in the wrong place Mm -hmm. which for a guy with extreme ocd was something that he noticed like right away it's a no for me dog yeah (laughs) I'm out of there. You had
1: me at the sulfur. It's like, now we're getting like demon territory again. It's like, I don't want any part of this.
0: So that was like the first big, big encounter that he had. And then a few months later in November, he went to the movies again. And during the movie, he felt like someone was watching him. And so he looked like around him and saw this guy that he said pretty much materialized out of nowhere and was just staring at him. But, he was staring at him with glowing eyes. He said that the eyes looked like flashlights in like the movie theater. So he he sees Hmm. this guy and he's like, okay, I'm just going to like pretend that guy's not there. (laughs) So he he looks away. Out of sight. Yeah. Not there, not there. there.
1: (laughs) Could it just be like the guy was wearing glasses and like the reflection from the movie. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) So he just pretends he's not there. And Looks back like a couple minutes later and the guy's gone. And so he goes back to watching the movie. And then like five to ten minutes later, he looks down to the end of the aisle and the guy's just standing there staring at him again.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: So he closed his eyes because he didn't want to see the guy and opened them again and the guy was gone. And that was the end of that.
2: Has this individual ever been diagnosed with mental conditions? We'll
0: get into that stuff. Um, that, that'll be on part two, so. Yeah. Uh, but the worst encounter was midway through 1953. He said that he got home and was visited by three men dressed in dark clothes. He... Claims that they told him secrets behind the UFO phenomenon, but warned him that he could never tell anyone else or there'd be deadly consequences.
1: <laughs> Why would they do t- <laughs> that? Like, that's the dumbest a, part so a far. A bit yeah. counterproductive. Yeah. <laughs> right, like the head of this huge international organization. He's like, no, but you can't say a word. Like, right. Pinky promise right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. That he got like so scared by this that he put out an issue of Space Review saying, we're shutting down, I'm done with this. Like, You guys can do whatever you want, but I'm done, pretty much. And So that was the end of the IFSB and the Space Review, and that's pretty much where Albert Bender kind of lays low for a bit. He kind of takes this warning and doesn't want to mess with it. Mm-hmm. The only
2: thing I can think of is... If you didn't just imagine that last part of it, because that that makes no sense. If it was people who obviously weren't actual men in black, but knew what this guy's, like, gig was or whatever, and wanted to have some fun, you could, like, put on a suit and be like, all right, I'm going to tell you some information, (laughs) you know?
1: Could have been one of the rival gangs in the (laughs) ISCP world.
0: One of the other, like, nerd gangs that just, like, targeted him.
1: Just scare tactics.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, next, we're going to get into a man named Gray Barker. So, who's that, you ask? Well, just let me tell you.
3: <laughs>
1: Did you ask that? Or...
0: <laughs> so, Gray Barker is a writer of mainly UFO, like, UFO stories. Well, and... Oh, hoody freaking die. <laughs> We got ourselves a writer. <laughs> hey, Dad, is that Bill Shakespeare over there? <laughs> I can you real well. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that he calls him Bill Shakespeare just always (laughs) will be classic. Mm, Man, rest in peace, big dog. (laughs) So he was more on the side of writing a good story versus being like dry facts and stuff. But he decided to write about Bender's experiences from Bender's mouth and publish it in a book. And this book was called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Like I said, with him publishing this book, uh, kind of got more press than Albert Bender would have gotten, kind of on his own just because Gray Barker was a known figure in the UFO, ufology circle. And so he kind of hints at the fact that Bender's visitors may have been like government, like FBI agents perhaps, and not something super malevolent. But this was kind of supported by the fact that there was a group called the Robertson Panel that was formed in 1953 in the same year that bender was supposedly visited and so what the robertson panel was it was basically a group that was sent set to investigate ufo groups and organizations basically to keep an eye on them in case they would be some sort of threat to public safety or national security safety because i mean at the time they were worried about soviet attacks so if you've got groups riling up the public saying that there's UFOs in the sky and everyone's focused on that and they're kind of pushing the military to look at that, then they leave themselves open to a possibility of a Soviet missile attack or something like that that they're not really looking for at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty much what the Robertson panel was. So, I mean, with Albert Bender starting the IFSB, which was a worldwide group and a pretty big name in the UFO community, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to say that the robertson panel sent a couple guys to his house to go tell him hey you might need to knock this off because yeah
1: and he'd be like target number one i'd assume right leading that huge organization like having that magazine like being that kind of figurehead like of what this was
0: right exactly so but obviously he wouldn't have known that hey this is the robertson panel guys no one really was telling them like hey they're coming to visit right the robertson (laughs) how the heck
1: are you He's also just from the Midwest now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. We, we didn't mean to intrude on your attic there. <laughs> the meeting happens in the attic. Yeah, <laughs> It did. It said that they knocked on his bedroom door, came in. Oh, my god.
1: Where is the stepdad
0: right now? <laughs> he's, he's just drinking beer on the couch, I guess. I don't know. <laughs>
1: hey, all your freaking friends are here again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, the IFSB was investigated, and then... Gray Barker was actually met by an FBI agent at his house. And the man had a business card that Gray Barker had been giving out to close friends, basically, that he had just gotten. And he's like, I only gave these like four or five people, so I don't know how this guy has one. But the guy said that he, there's a guy that ended up in the hospital that had it on his person, and basically he got it from that guy with Gray Barker's name on it, decided to come visit him. But the guy asked Gray Barker basically about his whole entire role in the IFSB and the book that he wrote and all that stuff. And after this, Barker relayed his story that he had with the FBI guy to Bender. But Barker was also like kind of a prankster. So people don't know if he was just trying to kind of pull Bender's leg with the story Mm -hmm. or if he was actually serious. But either way, it's around this time that Bender started changing his tune a little bit. And in his own words, Albert Bender told his story again in a different book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. So this is directly Albert Bender writing this, not Gray Barker writing from Albert Bender's words. So in this version of the story, Bender was home working on Space Review in the attic when he smelled the sulfur again. So he opened the door, found the same glowing-eyed figure from the movie theater. The man entered his room, and two more characters materialized in the room with the first guy, all wearing black shoes, black gloves, and black Homburg-style hats. They were not human agents, rather something else entirely. They came in, laid their hands on Bender's shoulders, and he passed out. When he awoke, he was in a secret underground facility in Antarctica. (laughs)
2: How did he know that's it was so, in it? Yeah. yeah there's no way, even if it was super cold, there's yeah. no way
1: you could be like, oh I, yeah, that's I, I where guess it is. Like these... Buddy, no, we're just like in an ice cream truck. Right
0: <laughs> <here>. <laughs> so as Redfern puts it in his book, he and I quote says, The story is filled with all manner of esoteric data and quasi-scientific gobbledygook. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not buying it. But after this supposed chat with the out-of-the-world visitors, they told Bender not to say anything, or else he would get headaches as a reminder that if he told anyone what he knew, they could cause worse things to happen. Mm. Yeah, they're just telling him everything. Right. <laughs> he's, he's just like the key to the knowledge that yeah. they need to give out or mm-hmm. something. I don't understand. It's like
1: you best not tell, or else we're gonna give you a migraine. Right.
0: But also in dollar trade, trade series. <laughs> yeah. So that's where Bender, like, sticks for a while. That's that's his final word on the subject until pretty much he disappears out of the scene for good. So now I'm just going to kind of go into different stories that Redfern goes through in the book. And a lot of these have what's called high strangeness, which are just, like, really weird and odd things that shouldn't be happening. Hence the word strange. But one story tells of a person working at an L.A.-based attorney's office that tracked missing persons. And this person was randomly informed that two complete strangers were hired to the firm in super high-ranking positions and nobody gave any explanation why. So the men were emaciated and tall and it appeared as if their wrists and their hands had no joints. Basically, like, no, like, bone structure to them. So imagine one of those, like, sticky hands that you, like, throw at a window, and it sticks, like, one of those things. Oh, my strong (laughs) hand. Well, actually, so, however, these men contained amazing strength. So (laughs) not too far off. sure. Sure. So one of them was said to have leaned on a filing cabinet and once they got off there's inch and a half <clears throat> indentations on top of the cabinet. So <laughs> So all right Mark. <laughs> it's like wow. Wow, good for him. <laughs> so so apparently someone at the office called like the feds after this incident and this cabinet was sent off to have like further research done on it by some metallurgical specialist. And apparently this guy said that there needed to be around 2,000 pounds of force to cause such a thing to happen. Okay. So,
2: As shocking as that is, there's absolutely no way that anyone in any modern office sends in a cabinet that has... Uh, A filing cabinet that has a major dent in it. That thing just goes straight (laughs) to the trash or gets disposed of or everyone gets yelled at about it, but they are not sending that off to the feds. Yeah, that sounds
1: like a whole lot of that is not my (laughs) (laughs) problem. With a
0: snap in there. Not my problem.
1: (laughs) Mm -mm. Like, what department did it happen in? Well, send it over to Pam and PR. (laughs) (laughs) Tell her to take care of it.
0: But apparently after these feds came in, these men kind of like disappeared. So that was the end of those guys. Okay,
2: so one more thing, one more thing. I can just see some guy going up to his boss, be like, "You're not gonna believe what just happened." This guy leaned on this filing cabinet. There's this huge thing. He's like, you know what else I wouldn't be able to believe? You actually got any work done around <laughs> here? You know what else I can't believe? The
0: fact that you're in my office telling me right now. Yeah, that's much more realistic. <laughs> Do you think I have time for this right now? Yeah. So. Around this time, even J. Edgar Hoover was getting involved, because someone apparently sent him a letter concerning the fact that there were efforts to try and silence people in the UFO community, like Albert Bender, and apparently in response, Hoover Hoover contacted the FBI offices in Oklahoma City, where the letter's sender was from, and have them send an agent to the person's house to investigate the person's sources, and like where they were getting this information, and probably to tell them to kind of shut up. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of interesting how many like high-level people are getting involved in this story. So next on the scene, we have two guys named Brad Steger and John Keel. So John Keel was a uh, big name in the research field of the paranormal and UFO around this time. He wrote hits hit books like The Mothman Prophecies, which got made into a movie. It's like a really big cult phenomenon. Um, but before he had any experience with the Men in Black, his friend Brad Steger actually ran into them, and Brad was another very well-known and learned member of the ufology and supernatural fields. And in one correspondence with one of his naval friends, he was told about the man's experience of encounters with flying, like strange flying objects and lights, while he was in the service with the Navy. And a short time after he got these stories from his friend, the man called him and said, like, they couldn't talk anymore. And basically, apparently the guy, his naval friend, said that there was, like, constant phone calls that him and his wife were getting with, like, nothing but strange noises on the other end, and his wife was starting to get scared, and his wife blamed it on the fact that he was telling Brad all of these stories. Mm Mm-hmm. So his wife's like, you can't talk to him anymore, and so they cut ties, and like that was like the end that he heard from that. But, he... what?
1: So when you said cut ties, Mark just looked at me and like acted like did like a hand scissors and like cut a tie. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) get out of here. So that's behind the scenes of the gems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that was like his first real encounter with anything strange like that, and definitely wasn't the end. According to Brad Steger, a well-known name in the UFO research field called him. He didn't say who, because they wanted to remain I anonymous, apparently. He's not an owl. <laughs> All right, Mark. Yay! Wow! So this guy calls him and tells him that him and his girlfriend or wife at the time had a strange encounter with a UFO, and immediately upon returning home, their house was being, like, torn apart by poltergeist activity. Like, their pictures were getting thrown around and stuff. And Steger said that while he was on the phone with this guy, it was bad enough that he could, like, hear stuff getting thrown across the room in the background, like the thumps and crashes and stuff like that. Wow. So, he kind of, like, advised the couple, like try these things to try and get it to stop since he was like into this kind of thing. He was like, I'll give him whatever tips and tricks I have to like combat this. And apparently it started calming down on their end, but then stuff started happening to Brad, like pretty much immediately, like start stuff in his office started like floating around and like getting thrown against the walls. And like a week later, his pictures were flying off the walls. And basically all he did was like yelled, like get out of my house stop doing this and it pretty much stopped and so that kind of like bolstered his confidence that he could kind of control this kind of thing ah,
1: i thought he was the man oh.
0: <laughs> yeah so he kind of got his confidence bump confidence bump by that
1: do we know like what tips and tricks he gave to the couple it Like, didn't... was it just like just <clears throat> say like hey get off my lawn
0: <laughs> just challenge him to a duel i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a Oh duel no, Always, no, like oh. the duels that we talked about earlier. Oh. I'm referencing back to. Oh, oh a callback! Yes, <laughs> ah, yes big yes. element <laughs> of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, next we're gonna go back to John Keel. So that was Brad Steger's kind of interaction with things in this area of weirdness. But uh John Keel, he, as I said, wrote that book, The Mothman Prophecies, which got made into a movie. And so that was kind of his area of focus for the men in black phenomenon. was the Mothman. So I'm going to go into a little bit on what the Mothman is for those of you that don't know. So the Mothman is what's called a cryptid, similar to like a Bigfoot or a Loch Ness monster. Those are considered cryptids. And it's a huge phenomenon in a town called Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So they have like a statue in the town square and everything there. So... Yeah,
1: I know that from uh, Fallout 76. Really? Yeah, it's uh, in the video game. I never played that video game, but I know about it, so that's actually pretty
0: cool. Interesting. I've never played it either, so I didn't know that. I don't know. Having driven through West Virginia a
2: couple of times, I'm not shocked. They got some weird stuff going on. There. It's a weird <laughs> place. I don't even think those people know
0: where they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a huge metal statue like in the middle of Point Pleasant, and it's got... For some reason, whoever made this metal statue just decided to give it really defined butt cheeks, so it's really funny to look at. That statue so hot right now. <laughs> statue or Moth, Mothman Moth so hot right now. Mothman. So, yeah, reports in this town were super plentiful in like the mid '60s, and it started around like an old abandoned TNT plant in the town. So the first. Real, like, reported sighting was there's was a group of I think it was like teenagers or like younger people walking around by this TNT plant just kind of exploring. And they claimed to have seen a, a like six to seven foot tall humanoid creature with like red glowing eyes. And when they saw it, it sprouted like it, its wings spread out from its back and then it just shot up into the sky and flew off. That was the boob lady. I was just about to say, I know I was cousin <laughs> to the boob lady, right. <laughs> So and her spectral womanhood. <laughs> now that's a that's scary back. that's yeah. scary. <laughs> so that was like the first sighting, but then people throughout the town were reporting like this thing flying next to their car and keeping speed with their car when they are going like 60, 70 miles an hour trying to get away from it. And all this these crazy experiences. And one group even went to the like sheriff's office like right after it happened and he said he knew who the people were and he's like I want to believe them except they were like in sheer hysteria when they got here and I know these people and they're not like super fanatical people so mm-hmm. he's like if that's the only reason I take this with any seriousness but something was going on to cause these people to freak out. But uh the media just loved these stories. They took it and they ran with it and started printing them all over the place. And Eventually, these sightings ended, but it ended kind of with tragedy. So on December 15th, 1967, Point Pleasant's Silver Bridge collapsed due to a hairline crack in one of the eye bars, and 46 people died. So this is a pretty big bridge in the town, but people claim to have seen like Mothman standing on top of the bridge like the day it happened before it happened. And so people say Mothman's like a harbinger of doom and stuff like that. Or maybe he's like trying to like tell you, Hey, something bad's going to happen or something like yeah. that. So, but that was kind of where the sightings pretty much stopped for the most part. Maybe he's a nice guy. Let's not be too he, quick to judge. He could yeah, he was be
1: just warning people like, Hey, there's a crack in the bridge. <laughs> Get <laughs> yeah. Get off of it. That's, that's wait. That's super sad.
0: Uh, There is still sightings in, like, current day, there is actually quite a few that are coming out of Chicago in recent, like, years. Mm. So, that's interesting. So, if we want to go hunt in Chicago for a Mothman, I guess we could do that one of these days. I, pff, any excuse to go have a good time? Yeah,
1: Mothman's <laughs> just, like, a huge, like, fan of the bean that's there. It's like, look, it's <laughs> a big metal bean.
0: So, Screw that bean. <laughs> <laughs> so, between the time of the first sighting and the bridge collapse... There was uh, actually run-ins with men in black, like, in correspondence with these sightings. So one woman specifically named Mary Heyer, who worked as a reporter for a local newspaper, was researching, like, UFOs and all the Mothman stuff going on, just kind of like all the paranormal or occult stuff going on in that area. And she was visited by a strange five-foot-tall, hypnotic-eyed man in black, is how they described him. So this short five foot tall guy had thick soled shoes, was wearing like the black suit, like the cliche. And he was just like super fascinated by the ballpoint pen that she had on her desk, apparently. Like he wouldn't stop looking at it. Hmm. And he like was staring at it and she's like, You can have that if you want. And apparently he like grabbed it and just let out this like evil cackling laugh and just ran out of her office. And she never saw him again. It's
2: so weird.
0: That would be terrifying. That said,
2: that said, no price tag on a good pen, right? right.
0: <laughs> if you can get a good writing pen, you you want to mm-hmm. hold on to that thing, yeah, literally to write.
2: Maybe he just was <laughs> really excited to get
0: that pen. It's I like Dobby when he gets a sock, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, after that, with the five foot tall freakazoid man, she had another encounter with these strange dudes didn't say what they look like i'm assuming it was the more typical like six foot tall skinny guys but they came up to her and asked her like hey what would you do if someone attempted to silence your work and she was like well i'd tell them they can go to hell and well, yeah and then they kind of just left her alone after that so i don't know if they thought like this lady's got some power yeah. or what but yeah,
1: she's the wielder of the pen yeah Man is mightier than the sword wow
0: So that was kind of the end of her encounters, but it was just interesting because people were having all of these encounters coinciding with people seeing the Mothman. So after that happened, it pretty much stopped Hmm. like after the last Mothman sighting, both so did the men in black sightings. So it's just interesting how it all plays on each other. So next in the book, Nick Redfern goes into a chapter about supposed photos of men in black, but they're both in black and white. So it's like, you don't even know if they're actually wearing black, yeah. and it just looks like guys on the street like wearing a black suit. So I, I don't really, I didn't really want to dive into that because I don't really think much of it personally. But
1: just for two decades, you couldn't wear a black suit without being suspect, <laughs> yeah, right?
0: Like... like the stories are all just like this guy was standing outside our house on the curb like for weeks and just hanging out. It's like, so what? It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> like, Uncle
1: George. He needs to be let yeah. in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to read about that you can get the book and read about it but I'm not going to talk about it. So uh there's plenty of other reports but I'm going to skip ahead just because if we went into all of the stories it would be like a 3 hour episode just for part 1. But uh this is one of my favorite encounters and I gave you guys both a script and we're going to read that in a little bit but I want you guys to pick which character you want. I'll be the man in black. So one of you needs to be the narrator and one of you needs to be Dr. Herbert Hopkins. So oh, I'll let I'm you guys decide. all to you. you I'm you a, Hopkins a Hopkins kind of guy. Okay, mm. you can be Hopkins so you'll be the narrator. Sounds good. So once can we, we get...
1: narrator, the narrator, voice from like SpongeBob. <laughs> sure. 2 hours later. <laughs>
0: So we'll go into hey. that. <laughs> Actually, you got to do the whole
2: thing like Joey Wheeler. Yeah, yeah. Joey hey, Wheeler. Guy hey, Guy. Hey, yeah, Yeah.
0: <laughs> the four kids dialogue never hey. fails. <laughs> All right. So I'll give a rundown on how this whole thing started, and then we'll go into that. So on September 11th, 1976, Dr. Herbert Hopkins was just having a normal night at home, and he had been recently working on doing hypnotherapy with a supposed UFO witness and possible abductee. And he basically was doing like regression therapy to try and kind of break into their subconscious to help them remember what had actually happened to them. So after that one day, he was just hanging out at home and he got a call from someone claiming to be from the New Jersey UFO research organization, which doesn't exist, but he didn't know that at the time. And, this person wanted to meet with him and talk about what his work had found with his patient, which his patient's name was David Stevens. So Hopkins just immediately invited this guy over, which was really strange because he had had people in like the past couple of years. He had two break in attempts on his house. So the fact that he just trusted this random stranger to come into his home was kind of. Surprising.
1: Well, this guy just like called ahead of time, so I just tried to break in. So, manners, I guess, yeah. <laughs> if you're
0: nice about it, I'll let you come. Right. <laughs> so, upon hanging up the phone, he went to his front door to like turn on the porch light so that this person would have a light when they got up to the house. But when he turned the light on, the guy was already walking up the stairs to his house. And this was in 1960 or 1976. So, Ooh. there's And there was no payphone like next to his house, so this guy just showed up out of nowhere. That's
1: crazy. And first recorded chills of this episode. We're back. When
0: I was reading this book, I was I would read it like before I went to bed sometimes, and I was reading some of these stories, and I'm just like, I'm scared (laughs) because it's all like really silly and stuff. But like, you read some of this, you're like, no thanks.
1: (laughs) The heebie-jeebies.
0: So yeah, this guy is walking up the stairs already. And Hopkins just opened the door and let this guy right in, like no questions asked. And so he said the man was extremely gaunt and he was wearing his typical unwrinkled black suit, but it was like hanging on his body, kind of like it was he was so skinny that it was really ill fitting. So he had pale white skin and bright red lips. So the man took his hat off when he sat down. He was completely bald, but he also had no eyelashes or eyebrows. So just no hair anywhere on his face.
2: That would be really
0: scary, actually. I know. So. Baltimore. After seeing this guy, apparently Hopkins German Shepherd got like super aggravated at first and started like going ballistic at this guy. And the guy just didn't react at all. And then the dog just got super like scared and ran out of the room with its tail between its legs and hid in a closet until the guy left so this guy apparently smoke spoke in like a super monotone voice like almost like robotic in nature and at one point during their conversation he put his back of his hand with his glove like to his mouth while he was listening to dr herbert hopkins talk and when he took it off there's like a red stain on the back of his glove and so Hopkins looked at him and realized he was wearing lipstick. So he, and he didn't have, like, any lips. He just put lipstick on to make it look like he had, like, defined lips. Okay, oh. that's so weird. Yeah. So, not great. No. <clears throat> so, we're going to read through this improvised script that I wrote up. So, Mark will be playing Dr. Herbert Hopkins. Evan will be narrating. And I will be playing The Man in Black. And seen. (laughs) You have two coins in your pocket. Take out one of them and put it in your hand.
1: Amazingly, Hopkins did have two coins in his pocket. Upon the man's request, he removed one and held it in his palm.
0: Okay, I have one right here, but how did you... Turn all your focus to the coin. Do not look at me. Look only at the coin in your hand.
1: Hopkins shifted his focus to the coin and stared at it. Once he did this, the coin in his hand began to shift from silver to a blue color. Then it became blurry and began to change into a vaporous substance before disappearing completely.
0: What the- How did you do that? You know the story of Betty and Barney Hill.
1: Betty and Barney Hill were one of the first largely reported abduction victims to come out with their story.
0: Well, Barney had died because he did not have a heart, just as you do not have that coin anymore.
1: At this statement, Hopkins became unnerved.
0: Cease your inquiries into your patient David Stevens and destroy all data on the case, or else you may have a similar fate to Barney Hill.
1: It was not known to Hopkins, but Barney Hill had not died of a heart defect, but rather a brain hemorrhage.
0: I will know if you heed my warnings or not. I
2: I okay. Okay, I'll I'll take your advice.
0: Hopkins was cut
1: short when the man began to act mysteriously, almost as if he was having some sort of physical breakdown. The strange visitor stood up and began to head for the door.
2: Are you okay? You look like your legs are going to
0: give out from under you. My energy is running low.
1: Upon saying this final line, the man gripped the railing and took slow steps out onto the sidewalk. A bright light emitted from something Hopkins could not make out, at least not as a car. He went to a window to get a better look, but in those few seconds, the man in black and the light were gone.
0: Cool. So just imagine that. You're oh, just I can imagine. You're just, I just. Lived yeah. it. <laughs> You're just sitting there talking to this guy. He instinctively knows you have coins in your pocket. You hold it in your hand, and it, he tells you to stare at it, and it just disappears. And then this guy just starts like having a battery run low on a robot, and just like yeah. starts like really shakily moving to the door and just disappears.
1: I'm gonna be so pissed at you if I have one of these guys coming to my place <laughs> after doing this. Just don't episode. answer the door. <laughs> oh, doorbell hasn't been working for.
0: Three years now. <laughs> well, if it act, oh, shouldn't have said that.
1: <laughs> now it's just gonna work perfectly.
0: Yeah. So that was one of my favorite stories. But once this guy was gone, Hopkins took like all the data from the David Stevens case and threw it into the fireplace. And after that encounter, for like the next week or so, he had like telephone interference when he would be talking on the phone, and just had like terrible nightmares. So this guy had a rough time after God, that. Stinks. So that's one of my favorite stories just because of, like, how many details he gives on everything. Yeah. And it just shows, like, these guys pretty much are appearing to be human, but they're, like, almost acting as if they read a book on how humans are supposed to act or look and just kind of went off of that. It's kind of like the
1: um, story you had last week with the children with black eyes. Yeah. It's almost, like, the same exact thing, like, they, like, faked manners- like, to get into your house, essentially.
0: Yeah. So they, they like, have a basic understanding of yeah. what humans do, and then they ran with it. hmm So that was 1976. So we're going to go into, like, a few more modern ones. So there was a one woman in the mid-'90s that claimed she was having UFO encounters, and ap- upon being hypnotically regressed, similar to what David Stevens was doing to try and uncover what had actually happened to him. She began to have strange occurrences at home. Like her mail would go missing and she would see like showroom floor, like new quality, but like older vehicles like parked outside her house, like the black Mm -hmm. Cadillacs and stuff from the fifties that just look brand new. And, uh, she got a good look at like one of the men, one of the times when they're outside her house and said that they looked like the blues brothers, basically like, Black suits and the hats, and they had like black wraparound sunglasses on and stuff. So, just like creepy, weird things happening, even into like more modern times. And there was more after this, too. But there's just like so many stories in the book that I could have written down, but just for the sake of time, I didn't want to because we're already going to be doing two parts on this. Mm -hmm. So I would if you are interested in this, I would suggest picking up a copy of Nick Redfern's book. It's it's a fun book, even if you're not a believer of this stuff. It's just a fun story to hear. So
1: Oh for sure. I mean it's super interesting. Like these are real life encounters. Like these people exist.
0: Right. You You could go talk to some of these people if you wanted.
1: Meaning like the people that wrote their experiences out exist.
0: Exactly. Well. 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 Do they? uh, Yeah. Maybe. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, this has all
0: been so wild. <laughs> <laughs> I don't See, think the,
1: the funniest part is that they all wear fedoras. It's like only one fedora per crew, dudes.
0: Right. But I don't know. I just find this topic to be like whether it's true or not. Just it's a ton of fun and it's really fascinating to hear. Like, because you all, you know about your typical like Bigfoots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is something that's more like less common. I guess I should say than all that stuff so like you didn't know about it mark knew a little but not much and
1: no my only like experiences with men in black are the movies exactly and And, hearing these stories they're completely different than the movies right just make a movie about the real life men in black That you could just make a
0: horror movie about this like instead of a comedy about them being government agents like helping the human race like you could just make a horror movie about them being the exact opposite basically
2: Yeah. yeah true
0: but like I know there's a supposed video that you can look up on online of two supposed men in black that went into some sort of office building and the camera at the doorways caught them walking in. And it is kind of a weird video because you see a guy for like a reference size in the middle of the two doorways and they walk right past him. And assuming that guy's like a normal height, like 5'8 to 5'10, they're like, over a foot taller than this guy and they're wearing like black trench coats, black hats, black suit, black pants, uh carrying briefcases like but the guy that worked the counter there said oh yeah, these strange guys kept coming in and they like wouldn't tell us who they were and said they were or said they were like agents or something. I don't remember the story exactly, but yeah, there's there's actual like footage of supposed men in black
1: it's actually just the little rascals up to their usual <laughs> shenanigans.
0: <laughs> well, and then another thing that wasn't in the book that I wanted to reference was the the supposed, like, first ever encounter with the men in black that, like, I don't know why he didn't put it in the book. Maybe it wasn't, like, told back then or something. I don't know. but. There's a, apparently, a, like, a fisherman who is out on his boat, and there's different versions of the story where, like, he's alone with just his dog, or he's there with, like, his brother-in-law and his dog. But and Old Greg. Old Greg was there. They are having a party, <laughs> drinking Baileys like we are. Um, But apparently this guy's, like, out on his boat fishing in the Puget Sound, and, uh, like, these, cra- like, donut-shaped crafts just appeared above him, I think this is in, like, the 50s don't quote me on that uh so he saw these craft, and then one of them just like malfunctioned and blew up and sent like shards of material shooting out at him and his boat and from one version of the story that i read it actually like hit his dog and his dog died because of it so like there's physical repercussions from this apparently but after he saw this he like had the material and apparently he was visited by strange men and they came and like took the material, told them to shut up and like that was the end of it. But so strange.
1: Those bastards got dogs involved in this. I like, know, Well that
0: wasn't the men in black, that was just the aliens not knowing how to engineer their spaceships, I guess. But
2: <laughs> good enough to get here but not to not be <laughs> right. right. Probably
1: to travel like billions of light. Somehow years or so advanced, but yeah. <laughs> at the same time stupid
0: (laughs) yeah right but that's pretty much all i have on the stories for you guys so what are your initial impressions like what do you have going into the theories i mean the theories are i'm super interested to dive into that but
1: kind of like in 2020 like obviously there was a ton of stuff happened in case you guys weren't there but the government literally said like yeah aliens are real like and released like all that like they said they said they,
0: they were real UFOs. They didn't say aliens were real, but well, I like to be dramatic, on
1: the <laughs> podcast, as you all know. But aliens are we real. are
0: only factual here. We do not. Uh, I don't know. Remember what Socrates never said. Never get anything wrong.
1: Remember what Socrates said. We can't teach you anything. We can only make you think. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: but I don't know. Just very cool, and I don't know. Just I honestly think it connects to the children with black eyes. Yeah, there's a it's lot like of similarities, similarities in a lot of this stuff. So You said that the children with black eyes are pretty much strictly
0: Texas? No, they're everywhere. Okay. Like they're in the UK, they're here, they're all over. They're here? Yeah, <laughs> they're they're actually upstairs. <laughs> huh. But I did hear someone walk in. <laughs> oh no, we let them in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you, Mark?
2: Uh I think it's so interesting how much like Poltergeist stuff is associated with them cuz I think a lot of people think of the men in black as not necessarily, like, from the movies, but kind of more like a uh, government organization that's really shady, you know, that shows up to, like, suspicious scenarios. There's, like, it's just weird to hear the stories from people. Oh, no, then the pictures are flying around my house. And that yeah. it doesn't seem directly correlated, but then they have these, like, occurrences with these people. Right. So. It's weird. It's almost like the men in black that we were talking about today investigate paranormal or supernatural things, but them themselves aren't. The cause of it per se, they are more like around when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just
0: weird. I just think it's funny how this like topic kind of covers almost every like aspect of paranormal or supernatural. It's got like mm-hmm. aliens. There's poltergeist or like ghost activity. There was stuff with Mothman, so you got cryptids in there. It, it like runs the whole gamut of like everything odd and weird. So,
1: are there mm-hmm. any um? Like sightings of these bad boys at the Roswell
0: site. Ooh, interesting. I didn't read any, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was. That'd be really interesting to yeah kind of dig
1: into, just yeah. because like I don't know, just the same exact category pretty, right. much, and... pretty
0: much. You'd think there would be with how yep. big of an incident that was, and it was like right around the time that these sightings were so big, because it mm-hmm. was a lot of like like 1940s, 50s, 60s was when they're probably the most prevalent. But then again. You also like just have a lot of this stuff coming out at that time. So, a lot of people who maybe encountered these people are just seeing someone that's talking about something they don't understand. And you never know. But
1: I would love to interview someone just from like West Virginia, just some random fellow that's like, yeah, Matt, like Mothman exists. Just Just at like a coffee shop. Yeah. Yep.
0: That'd be cool. They have a pizza place where you can buy like a Mothman pizza. Oh, I'm down.
1: (laughs) Is the pizza for you (laughs) and (laughs) me? All
0: right, guys. Well, that's all we got for part one for you guys. So I hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. But we'll be coming back next week with part two, going into some of the theories on what or who these strange things are. Can't wait to hear the rest of it.
1: Wee 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 (laughs) wee. And also, as always, remember check out our social medias, Gems of History Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. You can find. My co-hosts at Mark underscore Stein B and at Jacob or Jacob is at Shop and Go. Yep. Uh, And myself at Wodevskies if you want to follow us and our own personal things i just kind of tweet nonsense pretty much the entire time so if you want to be part of that nonsense <laughs> give us a follow
2: especially if tarzan's on right oh god <laughs> yes
1: as a 25 year old i did drunkenly um live tweet the entirety of tarzan hey, and no Emperor's that group. being a third yeah, party Mark was there being yeah. a third
0: party to it and waking up to see those tweets though oh it, it made my morning a lot better
1: honestly the stupidest thing i've ever put on the internet was just the uh when tarzan kills women Magira only want or whatever. One thing or, yeah not McGear. that's um jungle book but the just, jaguar yeah. yeah like puts him over his head it's like girls
0: only want one thing <laughs> it's, just, it's just an entire jaguar yeah, it
2: was really funny dude.
0: man and you know what else you guys should do you guys should go rate and review us on apple podcasts because you know when you're giving us five stars you're really giving yourself five stars for saying that you're listening to a good show so you know what it reflects good on both of us. Again? I second that. Yeah, we're the friendly <laughs> podcast, not the <laughs> enemy podcast. Best friendly podcast. <laughs> so go do that. Email us at gems of history podcast at gmail.com if you guys want to get in touch with us there. But other than that, we will talk to you guys next week with more Med and Black talk. See you guys.
2: Adios.